you guys want to turn to Galatians chapter 1, that's where we're going to be at tonight. Um, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and keep it raised high, and then one of the guys will be able to get you a Bible. If you don't own one, please keep it. And then if you do own one and you forgot it, you know the drill, just make sure it finds its way back to the shelf. Galatians chapter 1, as you turn there, um, just want to give you guys a recap on where we were last week. Uh, last week was week one in this series. So we start off, and what we said was the writer, the, the, the man who wrote this book, ultimately was a man, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. He was a church-planting missionary. So he went to different regions, and he planted the gospel, and out of the gospel, a church grew. And then from there, he'd go to other cities. And the way that he corresponded with these churches is that he wrote letters. And so the letter that we have here to the Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote to them, now, he wrote this letter in response to a situation that was happening, that, that was happening in this church. And the situation was there's some guys there uh, that were called Judaizers. They were the antagonists, meaning they were the, one, they were the ones who were against the good. The good was the gospel, the essential truth of Christianity, that God himself has come to rescue and renew all of creation in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And the way that we become Christians, the way that we're made right before a holy God is not by anything that we do, but by everything that Christ has done on our behalf. This is by grace working through faith. Now, the Judaizers took that message and they added to it that you also had to become a Jewish person, ultimately, that you had to obey the Mosaic ceremonial law. Paul writes this letter and says, "Uh uh-uh. That ain't the truth. Last week, we heard, we heard some harsh words. Paul told them that he wished that they would be accursed, which means he wished that they'd go to hell. Paul's words. And then after that, Paul explained what the gospel was and how he himself was not someone who was living for the approval of people, but for God. Now, what we have tonight is a large section of scripture, and it's chapters 1, 11 through 24, and chapter 2, 1 through 10. And It's a lot, and we're not going to cover all of it, but what we're going to do is look at what Paul is saying about the gospel. Because just the context here, this next several passages, Paul is giving uh, a testimony, you would say, of who he is and what God has done in his life. And so ultimately, like any testimony, what you hear about is who somebody was before they became a Christian, what God did to save that person, and what that person's life looks like now. And we can learn from that. It's usually encouraged. We see a changed life. And so the things that we'll pull away from Paul that we'll see about the gospel is that the gospel in itself gives us identity. Um, It helps us and allows us to be obscure. And then lastly, unity. So identity, obscurity, and unity. And so if you guys have your Bibles, look with me in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Hold your spot there. And uh, we'll pray and ask God to bless our time. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we are excited, God, that we can hear from your word. And God, the only thing that can mess this up, Lord, is, is, uh, is our sin and me. And so, God, we ask that your spirit, Lord, would move and uh, help us to see what we cannot see naturally. Help us to hear what we cannot hear naturally. God, I do pray for the anointing of your spirit to communicate in a way, Father, that glorifies your name and nothing else. God, we pray that you would quiet us that we may hear the still voice that you give to us. God, help us to understand the gospel. Help us to see the implications of the gospel in our life. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul starts off in verse 11. And in chapter 1, verse 11, here's what Paul says. Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it by any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Christ Jesus. Let me pause there. Here's why Paul has to say this. The Judaizers were confusing the Galatians church. And the lies that they were telling the Galatians church was, hey, this Paul guy, he wasn't an original apostle. He didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't like Peter and he wasn't like John. He wasn't like the other guys. This is, this is the new apostle. 
And so they questioned not only his authority, but also since he was an original apostle, they questioned his gospel. That's why Paul starts off and says, listen, the gospel that I had, it didn't come from any man. It didn't come from a particular teaching. It came from God himself. The gospel that we preach to you is not Ricardo's gospel. It's not, it's not a gospel that a particular church teaches you. If it's truly good news, it has to come from God. And so Paul just starts off by saying, just to let you know, the gospel that I have is true. And so the question is, okay, what's the gospel? Um, one of the guys asked me, he said, hey, won't you just give a clear picture and a clear to concise statement of the gospel? And that's really hard because there's so many ways in which you can say the gospel, but I'm going to try to do that. First, the gospel has an aspect where it's personal meaning that God has come in spite of your sin to forgive you and to redeem you, to live the life that you should have lived, but you couldn't, and to die the death that you should have died, but you don't have to because he died in your place. The way that you were made right with him is by faith and faith alone, grace, which is God's undeserved gift, and grace alone in Christ and Christ alone. That's it. Um, and, And sometimes that's a stumbling block, but it's just by faith in Christ Jesus and his word that you're made right with Jesus and you will live for all eternity with Christ. That's a personal aspect. There's also a communal aspect. And the communal aspect is this, that God is not just redeeming individuals, but he's redeeming peoples, meaning there's nations and tribes and tongues in which the gospel is coming to bear and that men and women are coming to believe in Christ. The same means. It's Christ's sacrifice, his life, his death, his resurrection, that by faith, people are reconciled with Jesus and now reconciled to one another. Lastly, there's a cosmic element of it meaning that the cosmic element is that God is not just rescuing and redeeming humanity, but the nature and the scope of the gospel is as wide as far as sin has affected this world. So the beautiful song that we sing for Christmas, Joy to the World, one of the lines says that as far as the curse is found, that God's grace abounds. So so when Adam and Eve sinned against God, that it just didn't bring separation between man and God, but there's also decay within creation. And so God himself will come, and it says in Revelation 21, that he will renew this world, this material world. And so the gospel is Jesus has come to save you, Jesus has come to save us, and Jesus has come to save this world. Paul says, that's the gospel, that's the only gospel, there is no other gospel. The way that we enter into God's kingdom is by faith, not works, by grace, not works. And that's it. Amen? I wish I could just close the book and be like, see you, I want to go watch the Niners. But... More important things here. So Paul starts off by laying his testimony. The first thing he does in verse, in verse 12, excuse me, verse 13, he says this, For have, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So Paul starts off in the testimony, he goes, let me just tell you how bad I was. Like, I was really bad. If there's ever been someone who's been worse than me, let me find them, because here's what I did. I persecuted the church. I didn't just make fun of Christians. I co-signed murder of Christians. I dragged men and women out of their house. That's, that's how zealous I was, and I thought I was honoring God, and yet there's blood on me. There's blood on my hands. That when I stand before God, I will have to stand before God and give an account of the fact that I murdered people, and we read about this in Acts. In fact, there's a story in Acts, Acts chapter 8, where there's a man named Stephen. And Stephen goes before the rulers of their day, and they have him give his testimony. And he shares this beautiful story of the gospel, and they hate it, and then they stone him. And then the guys who've been to stone him, they give him to take off their jackets and their hoodies and whatnot, and they hand it to a man named Saul. And that guy, Saul, the next chapter becomes Paul. And so in essence, Paul's like, yeah, give me, give me your stuff so you can stone this guy. And they killed him. And Paul goes, you, you've heard of that, right? You've heard of the type of life that I live. This, 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 this aspect of grace of the gospel teaches us something. One, no matter how bad you are, you were never bad enough that you can't receive God's grace. The Paul says, listen, murder. 
you were never bad enough that you can't receive God's grace. That, that's, that's, and some of us, that resonates. We want to hear that. Because if you're anything like me, there are things that you've done that you're ashamed of. There are things that you've done that you would never tell anybody else. There are things that you're doing that no one else knows. And guess what? There's going to be some other things that you're going to do. And I'm talking about, we, we, sometimes we say the big sins, the small sins. Sin. Sin. And some of us, for whatever it may be, it sticks to us closer uh, than other sins. And Paul says, listen, no matter how bad you are, the gospel lets you know that you're not too far gone. That God, God, God has grace for you. And on the flip side, Paul doesn't say, look how bad I was. Paul also says, look how good I am. In verse 14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now, I think Paul puts this in there for a reason. Because mind you, the Judaizers were Jewish, and they were from Jerusalem, and they were very ethnocentric. They loved their Jewish heritage. And when they were talking to these Gentiles, they said, hey, Gentiles is anyone who's not a Jew. Um, And Gentiles, you need to become a Jewish person. And Paul goes, let me just tell you something. If you want to know what it means to be a true Jewish person, look at my life. I was better than everybody. The laws, perfect. In Philippians chapter 3, he goes, I was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. No one did it better than me. If there, were way, if there was a way to be moral enough, if there were a way to be good enough, he goes, I knew all the scriptures. I can quote them back to you. I did all the right things. And what he communicates is the gospel lets us know that no matter how good you are, you're still in need of grace. No matter how good you are, you are still in need of grace. And your biggest problem is the fact that you think you're good enough. Your biggest problem is that you're relying on yourself. Your biggest problem is ultimately when you're trying to be good enough and you have a standing before people and a righteous standing before God because of what you've done, your issue is you don't need God. And that's a sin. You need him. The best way I can illustrate this the way we are is, 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 is by telling you the story of my two-and-a-half-year-old son who's almost three. He's almost three now, and, I, it is, and I've shared you guys. We've got this ongoing relationship, me and my son. I think I'm going to knock the kid out one of these days, but just pray for me. And because he, 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 he's just, he reminds me of a little version of me. And I could just see him, he bows up at me and stuff, like puts his chest out, and I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> but wreck, whoa, 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 this is daddy, right? And so my, my son has this thing now, now that he's almost three, that he wants to do everything by himself. And he doesn't need any help. No help. No help, Daddy. I do this by myself. I do this by myself. And so he wants to climb into the car and get his car seat and then click the buckle. Here's the thing. He can't do it. And I'm like, Noah, you can't do it. No, no, I do, I do this, Daddy. I do. That's not, that's not even proper English, bro. Like, you know, and, and I'm trying to help him out. And he just sits there and he goes, I, I do this. And he's trying. And finally, it's like, okay, we got to go. I click it. And what happens? Rah! And he just goes nuts. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. That's a picture of the way we are. Like when we try to rely on our goodness, we try to rely just on our moral behavior, God is going, what are you doing? Yeah, those are good things. But when you rely on that, what you're ultimately saying is, no, thank you, God. I just don't need your help. I don't need your grace. And Paul says, listen, you're never too bad that you can't receive it, and you're never too good that you can earn it. The gospel is something completely different. It lets us know that you're more wicked and flawed than you ever dare believe, and yet at the same time, more loved and accepted than you ever dare hope. Only in Christ Jesus. Paul says, listen, it's not about how bad you were in your behavior, nor is it about how good you were in your behavior. It's all about God and his character. And when you begin to see the gospel, the gospel gives you a new identity. But Paul goes on to say this in in verse 15. He says, but, I was really bad, I was really good, but when him, 
when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach to the Gentiles. Paul says, listen, I didn't get it by being really bad. I didn't get it by being really good, but I got it because he set me apart before I was born. And I just want to pause here because when people hear that, that set me apart, they get all weirded out like, oh, he's going to go talking about election on us right now. And, and there's all these people that talk, did God choose me? Do I choose God? We're not going to get into that debate right now because this is not as theological or systematic treatment that Paul's dealing right now. Paul is telling you a story. And the reason why I think that we can be confused and just it, over the debates that are, I think it's very healthy debate, but if we, if we did that now, we'd miss out on what Paul is trying to communicate. Because like any person who's telling their story, they begin to recall and remember some of the things that they've done. And, and I think Paul, when Paul says, but when him who set me apart, he begins to pe- speak of something of the nature of the gospel and the love of who God is. Ultimately this, Paul says, listen, I'm a guy, I've murdered people. all you have to do is be a Christian long enough and you realize your sin, though it's forgiven by God, though he's paid the penalty, the consequences are still there. I think that was one of the biggest misnomers. I just did not understand. I thought God forgave me. Yeah, he forgave you, but you still have consequences. And that means sometimes you hear certain songs, sometimes you hear certain smells, you drive past certain places, you see certain people, and it reminds you of it. And it's right there before your face. In fact, King David says, my sin is before my face. It's like there. And so when Paul's telling his testimony, he's saying, listen, I know what it's like to be, to be guilty. I, I guarantee you, in Paul's ministry, when he was in Jerusalem and planting churches, there had to have been members there who goes, oh yeah, you're the Paul. Yeah, you're the guy who co-signed my Uncle Steve in the death. And so he felt that weight. And so what made Paul assured of who he was was not by anything that he had did, but what God had did. And so when he says that God had set me apart, what that meant was that grace preceded him. That God's undeserved gift was even there before there was a Paul. And the way that God secures us in his love is that God says, listen, before you're even born, I set my love on you. Some of you are here right now, and you're Christians. You can, you can do a great exercise that I try to do every three weeks, and it's theologically reflect. Meaning, look back on your life, and you can see the interventions of grace. Even before you were a Christian, and where God's hand was there, and he was moving you, and he was guiding you, even when you were sinning, God not just used it, he meant it ultimately to put you in the position that you are in now. And you look back and go, oh yeah, I would have never done that different. I would, I would never do that again. But looking back on it now, I'm glad I could see God's hand in it. Some of you are here now, and you don't believe in God. And here's what I could trust too, that because God has placed his love on you, no matter how hard you run, how fast you run, God's going to get you. He's going to out-love you. That's what he does to us, that he takes dead hearts and he makes them alive. He takes the blindfold off our eyes and we go, oh, you, and now I can finally see. That's what Paul was communicating. He says, it was never about my behaviors because God loved me and he just loved me. Not because of me. Some people get upset when they talk about the doctrine of election because there's some people who talk about it in such arrogance as if God chose them because something that they did or something that they would do. They walk around saying, you know, I'm first pick in the draft, dog. God chose me. No, he doesn't even love you. No, that's not true. <laughs> but you, you, you feel like saying that. It's like, no, you're, you're missing the whole point. <laughs> the whole point is all of us were most, the most unlikely people to become Christian, and yet God intervened before we can do anything good or bad so he would know for a fact these are mine. If he chose us anytime afterwards, he wouldn't choose us. It's all about him. He, he loved us because he loved us. I mean, can you imagine if, um, if, if we just love people and we said we love them because we wanted to use them? Like if I went to my wife and I said, baby, you know why I love you? Because I talked to her like that. And, uh, and she, she would say, yeah, yeah, tell me. Oh, because I knew your dad was rich and he'd be able to help us all get a house and hopefully that, you know, we'd have kids that would be good. It would be ridiculous. She'd go, really? You're using me. God said, that's not why I love you. He says, I love you because I love you. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy. It's the very beginning, fourth book of the Bible. 
Deuteronomy chapter 7. In fact, it's probably one of the most beautiful passages in, scriptures, in the whole scripture. And it's God talking about why he chose Israel. And it's Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, and we'll spill into a little bit of chapter, chapter 8. These are one of these verses, if you got a pen, you just highlight it and you go, oh, that's good news right there. In verse 7 he says this, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest among all people, but it was because the Lord loves you. <laughs> That's it. God says, I love you because I love you. That's it. Not because of who you will be or the future you or what you will become. God just says, listen, I love you the way that you are. Do I want you to grow? Yeah, but I love you because I love you. That, when you begin to see that love of God, that no matter what you've done or what you will do, that he loves you because he loves you. That's why he sent Jesus. And when he looks at Jesus, he sees you. You have a whole new identity. And your identity is on nothing else other than the love of Christ. It's a comforting thing to know, you know what? Today, God loves me. And not just in a, in a general, like, oaky sense that God loves you. No, he loves me. And he's always loved me. So if I can say that he's loved me before he formed me in my mother's womb, well, he's going to love me for all eternity. That's good news, amen? And that's because of Jesus. That's the first thing we see is the gospel gives us a new identity in Christ. And building on that identity, what happens next is that we're able to grow in obscurity. Um, Paul goes on in verse 17. He says, after he preached he was to preach to the Gentiles, he said, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia, and I returned again to Damascus. And so let me just paraphrase here. He goes, after three years, I finally I went to go talk to Peter. We hung out for 15 days. We kicked it. We talked about the gospel a little bit. Paraphrase. And then afterwards, he goes, people still didn't know me. In fact, verse 22, he says this, and I was still unknown in, in, the, in person to the churches in Judea that are in Christ Jesus. And I love that because what Paul is saying is people still didn't know me, and it was all good. And the reason why that jumps out to me and what the gospel produces is, naturally, in our day, if someone like Paul, who was a well-known Christian hater, right, if Richard Dawkins all of a sudden became a Christian, the first thing we would do is like, bro, can you come speak at our church, man? You got, man, you got a powerful testimony, man. People need to hear it. And, and Paul goes, no, I just kind of disappeared for a while. I got some quiet time for about <laughs> three years. Um, and after that, I finally went to go talk to Peter, and I was still unknown in the churches. And he was okay with that. And you want to know why he was okay with that? Because he knew who he belonged to. You see, most of us, our identity is not rooted in the gospel. M most of us, we, we can't be obscure with confidence. We can either be confident or obscure, but not obscure and confident. Here's what I mean. Some people are really confident, but they're not obscure. I mean, they're really confident because they're good at something. They're good at singing. They're, they're good at writing. They're good at school. They're beautiful. They're strong. You, you know who you are, and your confidence comes from that that you, you can stand up before people and, and, you're, and you're fine with that. Even, and you're confident because you're good at something and your confidence is built off that. And some people, but you're not very obscure. I mean, you, you can't go unknown. You, you have to point out that you've done something. Even some of you introverts. Some introverted people go, oh, you know me, I don't talk a whole lot. Um, I, didn't, I made this, but I don't need to tell everybody. And it's like, you, you, you just did, right? confident but not obscure. And then some people are obscure. They're okay with being unknown. And the reason why they're okay with it is because they trust in their abilities too. Their just abilities are not as good as these people. But both miss it. The gospel gives you both confidence and the, the desire to be obscure because you know who you are. That's why Paul was able to do this. Paul, Paul, Paul got the gospel. Because when the gospel begins to take root, what you, really, you, you begin to see is that not only does God love you, but he genuinely likes you. And that he draws near to you. 
and that he, he never gets fed up with you and that he wants to be around you, that he never leaves you nor forsakes you, and he forgives you. Though you continue to keep on sinning, he continues to keep on forgiving. This type of confidence can only be found in the gospel. Every other confidence, you can lose. Every other confidence, you can lose. Your beauty, you can use it. Your family, you can use it. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you can lose it tonight, right? You, you could lose all those things. For me, I had no idea how much confidence, how my confidence was built up in, 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 in just athletics. The fact that I just was able to dribble a basketball and catch a football, like that, that was it for me. And the reason I didn't understand it until God pulled it away from me. And I realized I don't even know who I am anymore. I mean, genuinely, like I don't know who I am. Um, and God began to show me how much I relied on that, how much I relied on, on ability. And part of it for me was um, people around me said I was good. And so I kept doing it. And when I became a Christian, I wanted to be humble, right? You'd hear these prayers, Lord, make me humble. And, and the best experience that I had was in November, excuse me, in December 2004, I was in a commercial. Me and my roommate had a commercial. Our, our pitchers were on the buses in Tempe. And, you know, it was kind of cool. It was like, oh, that bus? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> no, nah, it's not a big deal. Just a couple, you know, just, you saw it? You know, and it was just a sense, and then, and then all of a sudden, God, God is so great. He just, just rips it away and goes, dude, you're, not a, you're just a dude now. And then, and then I get hired as a substitute teacher at a, at a high school in Peoria. It was like purgatory, right? And so I'm living there on the west side. Sorry for you west siders. It's not as bad as Tucson. And so I'm living there on the west side, and, and then I would go in every day, and the lady, the lady, the receptionist would give me a job. This teacher's absent just sub in this class. Well, one particular day, that morning, I prayed, God, make me humble. I just want to be, I want to be obscure. God, I just want it to, doesn't, it doesn't matter about me, Lord. It's about you, right? And then I get there, and the lady goes, oh, you know, there's, there's no teacher's absence, but um, we're, since we've got to pay you, why don't you help Mrs. Saunders in the library? I thought, kush, right? I'll just read a book. I get there, and she goes, oh, I'm so glad that you're in here. In fact, you know what? It's the end of the year. All these books are out of order. Can you go through and make sure all the books are in order? And I kind of was like, I had a commercial, right? <laughs> and, and next thing you know, I'm going, like, here I am on my knees. All the like, detention kids are back there snickering and stuff. And I'm like, this is what happens when you get a college degree. And I'm just going through the books. And then I got to the Holy Bible. No joke. There was three Holy Bibles. And I just thought, God, you're hilarious. You are hilarious. Like, this is exactly what you want, right? This is exactly what you want. And, and ultimately, Paul has that. He goes, yeah, sure, I'm sure I can get a speaking gig at different churches. I don't even care. It's totally for God's glory because I understand the thing that I have, I'll never lose. God can take anything from us. That's why I love that hymn, On Christ and Christ Alone We Stand. Everything else is sinking sand. He's the rock. If you, built, if you built your identity on anything else, you won't really truly have confidence to be obscure. To be obscure literally means to be okay with being unimportant. I love that. In fact, that was a thing, that, the attribute of my wife that attracted me to her. I was floored at how confident she was and, and yet just how humble she was. I, I couldn't really describe it. Um, in fact, before I met my wife, um, excuse me, when I met her before I was a Christian, I was a confident person. She was very athletic as well. And then, and then when I met her, I had no idea how good of an athlete she was. In fact, this is the only day I'll ever say this. She was a better athlete than me. <clears throat> I said it, all right? And so, and, 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 when we, were, when we got married, we were in the house, and she went to a school, a university, before she transferred to ASU, and she played soccer there. And I didn't know this about her, but um, they won the national championship. And I was looking through the closet for something, and I found this national championship ring, like in a shoebox or something. 
And I was like, are you kidding me? I would have killed somebody for this. You have a national championship ring? And she goes, oh, yeah. Are the kids still sleeping? And I was just kind of like, gosh, you know, and here I am. She makes fun of me. She goes, you talk about football all the time. You're like Uncle Rico. <laughs> I said, all right, you know what? Go to the other room, all right? But there, there's a sense there that that's what the gospel does. In all, in all, in all, in all honesty, what, what begins to happen is because you know your identity, that, that the, gospel, the gospel gives you, you can be obscure. And so when you get those first two pieces, it's huge. When you see that who you are in Christ is, as ultimately someone who's loved by Jesus, it doesn't matter about you anymore. But if you get the first one, if you don't get that identity, you won't be able to be obscure. Here's what I mean. One, one, one guy I meet with, he struggles with, with, with homosexuality. And this is one thing I know about our generation. We love to label ourselves. I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a this, I'm a that. And yet we don't use what the truth says about us. And so I looked at him and I said, bro, do you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Do you submit to Jesus? Yeah. That's not what he calls you. He doesn't call you those things. There's many things that I could be labeled as because of my sin. There's many things that I should be called because of my thoughts, my actions, but this is what I know. I'm loved by Jesus. I'm gonna call me what he calls me. He calls me beloved. He says he looks at me as he sees Jesus. And when I know what he says about Jesus, he says, good and well done. This is my son and who I'm well pleased. So I look at Jesus and I look at what God says about me. And you have to do the same. And we have to do the same. Because that identity that we have ultimately brings the confidence that we need. And ultimately now, we could be obscure. I love this about Paul. And here's what happens. It doesn't Paul, just because Paul's obscure, it doesn't mean he's quiet. Clearly, he talks about Jesus. But his life was something that was so profound. It says in verse 24 that the rest of the churches, they glorified God because of him. They, they begin to hear about this man. And they go, man, there's something unique about him. And what was unique about him was that he, got, he knew who he was. He knew that he was a sinner saved by grace. That was it. That was it. And I, every single one of you guys, if you don't get anything in that, your identity, if you have faith in Christ as in Jesus, you cannot label yourself by what you did last night whether good or bad. You have to label yourself ultimately what God labels you. Amen? La- last thing that we see is that the gospel brings true identity. The gospel brings obscurity. And lastly, the gospel brings unity. Um, chapter 2, what we see is Paul says after 14 years, ultimately he goes to Jerusalem. And now he goes to Jerusalem for this. He wants to bring the gospel that he had taught to the people in Jerusalem. Though, though he knew that he was for certain that the gospel was the gospel, but he wanted to go to Jerusalem to let him know what's been happening with the Gentiles. Up until this point, the gospel, um, the Christianity had been a Jewish sect, even though, even though Paul had went to the Gentiles. So he goes to Jerusalem. And he says this in verse 2, I went up there because of a revelation that was set before them, though privately for those who seemed influential, for the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I had not been running in vain. Now what Paul says that is not, when he says I'm running in vain, or he's a fear, fear that he was running in vain, not because he was afraid that somehow his gospel wasn't the gospel. What he knew was, my gospel is the gospel. If I go there to the church, to the, to the mothership, Jerusalem, and all of a sudden they don't believe the same gospel I believe in, we're going to have two churches. Meaning there's going to be a divide here. So he goes and he brings Titus with them. He says in verse 3, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now, that, that may not make sense at first glance. Okay, so he wasn't forced to be circumcised. Awesome, right? There, there's something different meaning here. The Judaizers were saying, Gentiles, in order for you to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised. And Paul was saying, I brought Titus to the people who seemed to be influential, and they said, no, you don't need to be circumcised because the gospel is not about what you do. You see, in Jewish thought, the Mosaic law was about, not to be confused with the, with the, the Ten Commandments, these laws were what you ate and how you dressed, and those things made you ceremonially clean so you can come before the temple and worship God. 
And so a Gentile was always unfit unless he became circumcised and he ate a certain way and dressed a certain way, then he came before God. What Paul says now in the new covenant, you see the same gospel that I've been teaching is the gospel. Is this, what makes you clean? What makes you pure? What cleanses you is ultimately God and God alone through Christ and Christ alone. And so this was a big deal. And he drops down um, in verse 7. It says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter has been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, and that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So here's ultimately what happened. The gospel was truly the gospel. Paul's telling to the Gentiles church, excuse me, to the Galatians church, it's the gospel. And what happens is God gave me ministry. He gave Peter ministry. The reason why I said it brings unity is Peter was to go to the circumcised, so the Jewish people. Paul was called to go to the Gentiles. And they said, the only thing that matters is that you believe the gospel. The only thing that matters is that you believe the essentials. Let the non-essentials be non-essentials. You can debate over those things all you want, but the essentials are this. You people have to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. It is by grace, which is an undeserved gift of God, working through faith. If you keep that the same, then go to whoever you want to go to. The reason why that's good for us is we need to understand, first and foremost, we're not the only church in Tempe. We're not. We're not the only church in Phoenix. We're not even the best church in Phoenix, right? We could just get that language just, just, just out of our mouths. Because if we truly are Christians <laughs> and we're saved by grace and grace is undeserved, how dare we look down our nose towards anybody else? Like that would be ridiculous. And so there's churches down the street and there's churches this way. Now, do they do different things than us? Yes. Is their philosophy completely different? Yes. Is their theology sometimes wrong? I mean, is their theology sometimes different? Yes, right? Can we disagree to disagree? Yes. But if they are teaching the gospel, awesome. Because there's people that they're going to reach that we're never going to reach. In fact, I have friends who are pastors that I would never go to their church. And I tell them, I would never go to your church. And I say it like that so they know. And then they look at me... <laughs> And they go, I would never go to your church. And I'm like, awesome. You continue to reach the people that you're reaching. We'll continue to reach the people that we're reaching. And it'd be great because there's no way one church, one ministry, one campus ministry could ever reach a university or a city or, or a state or a nation, or in this case, the world. God says, listen, just unite on this. You guys can go do, you're going to do different ministries and different philosophies. Go ahead and do it, but be united around this. Don't be people who throw bombs at everybody else because of what they do. Every so often, we'll get new people who come here, and somehow they, they think, um, as a pastor, I want to hear how bad the other churches are. Oh, I went to this other church down the street, and you won't believe it. You know what they do? What do they do? No, and, it's just, and, and it's like, oh, they do this. And they do, I'm like, yeah, well, you know what? People say the same thing about us. They come here and they go, oh, I don't like your church. And, you know, people wear hats or people have tattoos or um, you always wear plain plaid shirts. And it's like, whatever it may be. And it's like, okay, well, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's okay. Or people don't say hi. It's like, listen, many, many local churches, one church. Paul says this is what the gospel will do. Because it is a gospel of grace. We can never look down our shoulders or down our, our, our noses towards anybody else. There's a humility that it brings. If we're truly going to be obscure and we really don't care, all we can say is, hey, this is my preference. I want to be at this church. You want to be at that church? How can we partner together for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the city? Amen? And Paul says, when this is happening, when all, all ministries are working together, when ministries understand the nature and the work of the gospel, the thing that they should be willing to do, last verse right here, in chapter, verse 10, says this, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. And I don't think this is a tag on. 
I think when you truly understand who you are in Christ as an identity that's been shaped by the gospel, and you truly understand what it means to live a life of obscurity, like you, you really don't matter, but God matters most, and you understand that you can unite with all Christians, the, the implication of the gospel in your life is not just to love the other Christian, it's to love the non-Christian. And not just the non-Christian, but those who are least of these. Because the gospel is, our gospel is not serve the poor, but it's an implication of our gospel because of this. Every single one of us here who has received the love of Christ Jesus, we know that we offered nothing and we had nothing. So in a sense, we were spiritually poor, and yet God gave freely. He gave freely. He loved us because he loves us. And so the implication for us in response to the gospel is to identify the needs of the poor in our city, whether it's Maggie's place, whether it's homeless people, whether it's moms who can't find jobs, whatever it may be, identify the poor and not just give them money, but how to tangibly serve them. Not, not just write a card, but how to tangibly say, this is an implication of the gospel. My God did this for me, and he did it for all eternity, and there I will do this. And this is, this is clear. This is, it's not, the gospel is not you have to serve poor people. The gospel is that God has loved you. Ultimately, he became poor so that now you may be rich. And implication of the gospel is you serve, you serve the poor. Amen? I'm going to tell you a quick story, and I'll close this. There, there's a girl who... Um, came here, invited by a friend, and she was here for the Maggie's Place offering that we did, and not a Christian, blew her mind. She's been coming week after week after week. She goes over to the Maggie's Place, hangs out with the, the, uh, the expecting mothers there, and, and, and I asked her, you're a Christian? She goes, no, it's just the fact that you do that. I'd never known Christians who actually did that, and I thought, that is awesome. Now, we don't do it to advance the gospel. We just totally don't do to advance the gospel. We don't serve the poor, or use the poor to advance the gospel. However, it is something that a people around us can go, wow, why do you do that? And you go, here's why I do it. I was that single mom. I was that poor person. I was without, and God gave me plenty. It's the good news. I, I can't help but do it. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that we would understand, because of the work of your son, Jesus, that our identity is not in what we have accomplished it's not in the degrees that we have or that we're pursuing. It's not in the family that we're raised in. God, and it's also not in the things that we've done, Lord, and sinned against your name. God, but what matters most, Father God, is you. And that when you look down at us as your children, Father, that you see Jesus without spot and without blemish. That the record that Christ has offered for us, Lord, is a perfect record. And so, God, we can now live in response to that. God, we also thank you, Lord, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, but in Christ that you've scattered our sins far apart as the east is from the west, and you remember them no more. And so, Lord, tonight as we come to your table to remember you in communion, Father, I pray that you would remind us as a means of grace, a way to strengthen us and remind us, Lord, of how much you love us. And as we walk away tonight, that we realize that you did not choose us because of anything that we would do, but you loved us because you loved us. God, there's no better news than that. And so, God, we ask that we would be able to humbly submit to you and serve you, God. And, Lord, as we talk about the poor, Father God, not by guilt, but, Lord, I pray that we would be a church that truly pours out in our city um, to the least of these around us, God. And we, in doing so, Father, we realize that we are serving you. The way that we can serve you tangibly, Lord, is, is by serving one another. So, God, we continue to ask for the power and the leading and the guiding, the wisdom and the discernment of your Holy Spirit. God, remind us of the grace that you've given us daily. In Christ's name, amen.